The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. With expertise in more than 60 categories of collecting, its specialists will connect you with your passion. Find what defines you at bonhams.com. Hello and welcome to the Art Newspaper Podcast. I'm Ben Luke. This week we're looking at a much-talked-about new report on the restitution of colonial artefacts. The report was commissioned by the French President, Emmanuel Macron, and recommends the full restitution by French museums of works in their collections which were taken without consent from former African colonies. The report was done by the French historian Benedict Savoie and the Senegalese economist and writer Felwin Saar, and was presented to President Macron at the end of November. Later in the podcast, we'll hear from Smooth and Zawi, the curator of African art at the Cleveland Museum of Art in the US. But first, with me here in the studio are Nicholas Thomas, the director of the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology in Cambridge in the UK, and Vicky Ngari Wilson, a sustainable development advocate who's been involved in some of Macron's latest initiatives on the environment and Africa. She's also launched a campaign for the return of the Magdala treasure from the Victoria and Albert Museum to Ethiopia. I'd like to start by asking you both what your position is on the restitution of African cultural heritage. Vicky, could you begin? Well, I think heritage must be returned, but rather than the moral stance of who owns what, I think for me it stands for um, for the greater good of humanity, for sustainability. You know, uh, my my project is around working with Indigenous people to revive what they already know from ancient past because they've been practising sustainability for ages. That a lot of the time has been expressed through their art, through their craft. Um, so that's where my stance is, but it's definitely based on um, the greater good of humanity. Um, and before we kind of engage with those communities, it's really important to to honour them. You know, spirituality, their culture is something that's that's you know it's in their very DNA of how they function day to day. And to be honest, from the West, you know, it, it, we the West spent so much energy and strategy to destroy that foundation from these communities I'm focusing on Africa here because that happens to be the most indigenous communities and the most art that's been taken so therefore spending just as much energy and careful meticulous detail in honoring and in the journey of returning as well. Nicholas. I think it makes complete sense to foreground benefit future good for people everywhere the context I put the question in, I guess, is the commitments that museums everywhere announce and foreground rhetorically and try to foreground in their practice towards making collections accessible and being accessible institutions. And if we, and I mean people who work in museums in, in Britain and elsewhere, are serious about that commitment to accessibility, accessibility to um, the people, to the communities that generated these extraordinary works of art and also sometimes quite apparently ordinary things like baskets and articles of clothing and fish hooks. Accessibility to those people must be at the very heart of our project. But that then raises a whole series of other questions, which are how um, and in what specific way. 
how do you respond, Nicholas, to the to to the report because it proposes a very particular approach, doesn't it? I think the report uh, was a courageous document, and at points it's an eloquent um, document. Um, but I think it's not particularly well informed by an understanding of how museums manage um, collections. And also, I think it's 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 unaware of the extent to which um, a lot of curators in many institutions have been committed to collaboration with uh, what are called communities of origin, source communities in the jargon. Uh, those collaborations have been going on for some cases for for decades and have produced all sorts of really positive cultural projects and outcomes it's not just about where stuff is located or who um, controls it it's about the kind of practices we engage in and what they empower Vicky you um, uh, developed a petition for the return of the Magdala uh, works to Ethiopia can you explain why you why you did that and and, um, what uh, what response you got I guess I actually met um, an assistant director of Institute of Art of Law at a fashion event um, and just was researching some of the work that they did and I was just astounded to hear the story really it was a very internal experience for me um, uh, discovering the story of Abyssinian expedition and and not just the the main battle of you know King Terodros being defeated, but also um, Queen Terenush, who his wife, his second wife. Um, yeah, so for for me, it was just a very um, internal journey. I started the petition pretty much that night, just to mainly get the debate um, conversation up. I was completely shocked about the response, and that's not just from Ethiopians from Africans in diaspora, from English, from so many other people that, you know, agree that it needs to be returned. And what do you think about what the uh, report is suggesting? Does that does that tally with a lot of your views? Um, yes, obviously, I was really pleased to read the report. And, and again, they, they, I don't know, maybe it's because they're creatives as well at the core. I, I resonate with a lot of reasoning of the spiritual and cultural heritage um, and the accent around that whole report but I do agree that it could be more detailed and having been engaged in these international development platforms and political and policy platforms I think it's also really important that we just don't speak on, 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 on creatively and morally but also speak the language of capitalism of the economy and actually try to extract solutions that are going to be beneficial for the both sides like for me you know I would have liked to see more furthermore about um, not just giving Africa um, um, ornaments back swiftly. Um, I do want to explore the 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 idea of actually skilling the African youth to engage in it. I want to explore how we can kind of exchange not just items, but what about industries and things like that. So I would have liked more detail for sure. Nicholas, you're you're at the heart of the museum community. You, it's it's a community that 
discusses ideas and and in which ideas ripple and uh, are nurtured and debated. Is there much debate going on in British museums about this report? There's a very intense debate about it and it resonates for all sorts of reasons. I think a lot of museum practitioners, not just curators, but also the outreach, education staff, people around us, have been really concerned about these issues for a long time. And I I think we also, in what used to be called ethnography museums, in, in world cultures museums, we've, I think, come to take the view very seriously that these are not just museums that represent the cultures of the, of the world. They're also museums that represent uh, the difficult histories of engagement between Europe um, and countries in Africa, the Pacific, Asia. Um, we need to be history museums as well um, and present those narratives of encounter and interaction that have produced the kind of global world we we all inhabit. And we need to represent those histories in a, um, in a frank um, and balanced way um, way we need to encourage people to uh, confront, you know, uncomfortable truths about violence. Um, we need people to have a a sort of deeper sense of the complexities of what all of those interactions over the past few centuries have involved. I think it's important to add that there's a lot of different narratives in colonial history, and and. Colonial history was not just about military conquest and trade, but it was also things about processes like the dissemination of Christianity. Um, and um, some people, I mostly worked in the Pacific, and I actually don't know much about Africa, but um, many people across the Pacific are actually very celebratory about missionaries coming from Europe and um, bringing that religious order to them. Um, they see some of the changes locally that followed from that as being, you know, fundamentally positive. So um, empire itself is a is a hugely problematic but also a heterogeneous set of social processes. And are the objects that, which came into collections from those heterogeneous situations therefore as broad and as various as... In terms of their pro- in, in terms of their provenances, in terms of what they are, what they represent, in terms of their uses in the different communities, there is an awful lot across collections which came, in some sense or another, through a colonial context, and that um, absolutely includes material that was looted, uh, and uh, that has to be recognised and obviously there need to be very um, focused and sort of ethical considerations about how that history is um, responded to that um, I'm sure in many cases should involve material going back. Um, but but there are a lot of other kinds of collections and, um, for example, in the early 20th century, German anthropologists went to parts of the Pacific um, that was at the time controlled by Germany. Um, they documented customs and art traditions. Um, they were interested in things like ceremonial houses. The ones they bought 
back to the German museums were actually not ones they took away, but um, models and, in a sense, uh, um, new expressions of that kind of form that were, in a sense, produced by the people on commission for those ethnographers. Um, the books they published um, have, in some cases, been translated into local languages, so they're heritage resources in themselves. There's quite a lot of early tourist art, so people might go into collections and think, oh, you know, that's a um, a statue of an ancestor, but it may actually be have been a sort of replica form or a souvenir form. Um, people think tourist art's only a product of the last few decades, but, I mean, people were making tourist art right, right through the 19th century. So some of those collections represent that kind of interaction, um, people's response to those strands of colonial engagement that were more commercial rather than confrontational. Vicky, one of the suggestions about how to deal with the Magdala treasures, because of the, this thorny issue of legality, the fact that no British museum, National British Museum, is allowed to deaccession their works, they cannot simply say, we are going to give them back, was the idea of a long loan. But that, the idea of lending them on a long-term basis rather than giving them back has been seen as a, a token gesture by some. What's your What's your view on that? Well, initially, of course, I was like, if anyone took anything of yours and you wanted to, to borrow it back, you would be quite offended. So, yes, the Ethiopian community is quite offended and, and communities around that. But in this journey and exploring um, the complexity of the legal situation with museums is that obviously when things were brought back into museums in Britain, there were laws already existing to stop them from ever leaving the museum. And that wasn't just aimed at artifacts that were brought from across the oceans, but even within, let's say, Britain um, to stop, obviously, people trying to sell things off um, on the backhand. Um, so I understand those laws are there. Um, I do think that, again, when we go back to the sense of urgency in terms of development on a whole, if the shoe was on the other foot, I'm sure the processes would be definitely, definitely decreased and it would be more rapid and it, there would just be more action around it. And then this idea of borrowing and circulating the objects again, when... When the VNA actually had an event where they invited the Ethiopian community, everyone, to discover Ethiopia and make crafts and engage with the dance, and it was beautiful, a great event, but there was a slight bitter taste in the air. There was an elephant in the room. There was, who's telling this story? We know how this came here. So circulating these artefacts before people is not, I don't believe, like my gut instincts is that it's it's not, going to necessarily be received well ownership is important um nicholas the legalities of it are enormously complex the the proposal in the report itself sort of seems to sort of offer a way of circumventing the idea of uh works not being able to be access to be deaccessioned by saying that if there's an international agreement between states, it kind of supersedes any local law. 
does that seem like a plausible option to you? I think if governments want to find solutions to those issues, they can. And, of course, um, laws can be changed. I um, must admit I've been an advocate of the circulation model, and I understand absolutely why uh, when a proposal to lend something back to people from whom it was appropriated in violent circumstances is made, there is something... um, obviously, um, offensive about that. But I think that there are um, other practical um, reasons for um, thinking again um, and thinking whether there are positive advantages in going down that path. Even if um, laws are changed, consideration of whether something should be permanently deaccessioned and go back somewhere permanently is likely to be a drawn-out process. And I've been in conversation, for example, with a um, a Sydney region elder um, about material that was taken by Captain Cook within hours of arriving at Botany Bay. And he said, actually not to me, but to wider public audiences there, of course we could go down the road of campaigning for this, but Um, What are all the other things that we would not do that matter a great deal to the community? Whereas um, a museum like the one I run could agree to make those artefacts available for exhibition in Sydney, Australia, or wherever else, in, in whatever the case may be, through our routine procedures and we could make that decision in the space of months and see that material there, you know, within the space of a year. Um, And I suppose my sense about the Macron Macron report is that um, there are two really bad things that could happen. Um, One is that um, the momentum it's given the discussion could potentially go nowhere and things might not happen and people who've been engaged in these sort of discussions might be engaged in them again in 10 years' time, or our children might be engaged with them. But I think the other bad thing that would hap- that could happen would be that it could be done badly, in a sense. Um, and I suppose I'm concerned about the way the report sort of sees kind of immediate action as necessary, even in relation to some countries where there are not, you know, strong museum facilities. So I think there's another positive aspect of the um, temporary um, transfer model, which is that it it commits institutions and organisations on both sides, in a sense, to sort of uh, um, sustain the care of objects. I mean, the, somewhere like the V&A would have to um, do the work to support conservation and facilities um, and I think that sense of joint responsibility um, is is actually more positive. I mean, obviously, politically, people hate compromises. It sounds like a cop-out. But I think in this case, uh, um, uh, um, a sense of joint responsibility could actually be a more positive thing. I suppose a, a counter-argument to that might be, especially in the case of plundered objects, 
well, you took our object. What right do you have to tell us how we can then look after that? I mean, Vicky, what do you think? What's what's your view on 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 that issue? Well, oh gosh, it's, this is quite complex to unpack on 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 the tangible aspect. Is that obviously those objects have now been damaged, maybe, or um, so they they could be some care issues. But if we again, if we go back to the idea of development and relationship or within new industries or a new economic relationship with Africa, which are a lot of Europe once, this is now an opportunity to have these objects in Africa and now start to change real policy, whether that's tourism, whether that's skilling, whether that's exchanging skills and knowledge and innovation. So I, the idea of circulation for me is... I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't like it. I think they should be in Africa. If they if they if they can come out, they should go back and uh, whether long-term borrowing or permanently, they should be there. And now you can now is a real opportunity to actually start building a relationship with Africa. Prepare them, show their actual true intention, you know, prepare them whether it's museums and right down to the building the infrastructure in the museum. It's not just about investors and institutions plunging money in Africa and to a building their own anyway but you know collaborate with people one of the things that, that's coming clear to me from this discussion is the levels of commitment that it's going to need from all sorts of communities both in europe and in africa and and other colonial nations but also on the part of different stratas of society if you like it, it it's going to need the museum communities on in on both sides to be incredibly uh, creative but it's also going to need a massive commitment from states as a whole is one of the things that it, it occurs to me reading about this report is it seems to be making a making a big step in a particular direction but it doesn't seem to offer any blueprint for how the practical realities of the of this report can be carried out in any way i thought it was a pity that when emmanuel macron's speech was first reported everybody cited a soundbite and i think actually don't i don't think they read um, the fuller text and everything he said, because he did put an awful lot of emphasis on the scope for those kinds of partnerships and and the importance of them. And I thought it, his remarks really pointed the pointed toward the need for major commitments to engage to develop cultural capacity. I'm not sure that. Um, Felwyn or or Benedict Savoy really understand the um, relative underinvestment in museums in in quite a number of African countries. A lot of people who work in museums, um, um, and I don't want to generalise anyway, but in Nigeria, for example, the National Commission for Museums and Monuments employs about 2,000 people to provide a museum service for a country of 200 million with 36 different states. And and irrespective of whether you talk about, you know, do they have a proper conservation lab or whatever, that is simply um, a ridiculously small number for a country of that kind of scale and complexity. And anyone who would like to see um, strong 
engaging 21st century exhibitions in whichever part of Nigeria has to be thinking about um, strategies that could develop facilities, skills, capacity. Who, who do you think needs to make the boldest steps from here on in? Is it the museum community or, or is it at a governmental level that the next steps really need to be taken? Because Macron started this. Who needs to take it up now? <laughs> Museums. Museums, they're here now. This process doesn't really have to begin when someone decides, okay, now we can send them back. Museums, actually, a lot of the public think that it's, the museums are physically holding them, but actually they cannot do anything and change policies. They haven't got as much power, but they can definitely engage, you know, um, start to make museums a ceremonial place, invite the actual knowing and knowledge and practices. There's lots of rituals around these artifacts, getting people engaged with the entire story for themselves to actually uncover. And, I mean, you've seen Paris recently, ironically, but, um, you know, the, there is power in people and museums hold that power. They invite people all the time, but it's just in what in what essence are you inviting people I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we want to make museums spaces of interaction and engagement and spaces where we cede authority to elders, communities, experts, artists from that, from the range of relevant groups. And that actually has been happening for a long time. And I think some museums, um, particularly like the British Museum, which to be frank, has a reputation of being a warehouse of colonial loot. People are actually unaware of the extent of collaborative work that the British Museum's curatorial departments have been engaged in that has involved, in particular, extended projects, um, Getty-funded and Ford-funded, um, in, in both East and West Africa. I personally had this incredible privileged to be involved in um, the Oceania exhibition which just finished at the Royal Academy and that was developed over um, about six years and in various senses was co-curated. We um, talked, um, I co-curated it with a colleague from New Zealand who is of Samoan descent. We did it on the basis of all sorts of dialogues with many different people that impacted on what was displayed, what was not displayed, how certain things were displayed, the narratives that we wanted to foreground. Um, you know, we wouldn't have contemplated doing that exhibition without um, the appropriate ritual and protocol and blessing at the start and the end and at various times in between. And I think the way these practices have moved on has been uh, hugely important. Um, for enabling, you know, British and international audiences to get, you know, a deeper sense of what all this is actually about. It's not for me as an academic expert to tell people on my own what it's about. It's it's a matter of dialogue, and museums should, above all, be realms of dialogue and engagement. There's a rise of private museums in... Africa in Nigeria in particular um do you think that might be a means to 
plug the the sort of museum's gap in Africa and other places? If more material's going to go back, that depends both on changes and an openness on the part of museums in Britain and Europe, but also on the emergence of new conditions in the countries where we hope material can be more accessible. And I think one of the really positive developments is uh, new coalitions of various kinds, so that in um, Benin City, in Edo State, in Nigeria, there is a new coalition between the the Royal Court, um, the state government, and um, the National Commission for Museums and Monuments. And uh, it's anticipated that a new institution will be developed there. And I think that that local set of stakeholders, that kind of commitment, that uh, it's often just not practical for national governments to provide, uh, maybe is a very positive model for other places. Vicky, one of the aspects of this which is quite significant, I think, is that currently European museums are not terribly diverse places. Do you think this needs to change too? Yeah, of course. That's the only way you're going to get the public uh, you know, involved. Um, I mean, a lot of the creative industries is not very diverse. My medium is focused on fashion. It's not very diverse. But yet, if we look at rural women I'm working with who have no fashion school, no academic learning, um, but they know how to weave from plants robust materials. Um, That exchange is vital, again, for the greater good, but how do they get access in and how do we accommodate that? How it might be me through an African diasporan, but I am not from an academic, um, I guess, art background, and I've got involved through personal action. And it's so important for museums to be able to speak the language. If you're going to talk about, you know, engaging like in huge conversations that are going to change everyone's lives, the whole economy, it's really important to include those people in them. And it's so surprising that when people do get involved, I'm working with an artist called Pablo Malik at the moment, and he's of Caribbean descent, but he has been focusing on African art tradition. Just him tapping into Africa, he's managed to tap into his DNA and like mastered the golden ratio without even knowing what it means. He's a genius. So diversity is is in the hands of the museums, but it does mean that it doesn't mean you have to lower the level um, of art. It just means that you have to change the language a bit more so that everyone can understand and be welcomed in. Nicholas, are museum practices still set within a sort of set within traditions which perhaps relate much more to a kind of colonial model? Are there models within museum practices that could change in relation to objects that come from that this period and come from these parts of the world that might help a new way of seeing them and therefore using them to develop? I think Museums are very different. Mainstream art museums are very different to natural history museums and ethnography museums. And I think, although there's a lot of rhetoric about the global in contemporary art museums, in some ways they have been less effective at engaging with the knowledge of makers um, 
engaging with grassroots practitioners than um, ethnographic museums because I think in ethnography or world cultures museums, I mean, we've in a sense for a long time taken it for granted that we have to talk to the people to know what we're talking about. Um, Their expertise is in many cases absolutely profound and dialogue with communities is is absolutely critical to um, adequate, appropriate interpretation of the collections we hold, the the values and the narratives um, attached to them. I think I'm fortunate to work in a university museum and in the context of discussions about diversifying staff, one of the advantages we have is the capacity to host research projects that bring in students and postdoctoral fellows and people in those sorts of roles who may not um um you know be with us permanently um but very often um work at the heart of the institution change ex- exhibitions um change our narratives and then go off and take up positions elsewhere and so with projects both concerned with parts of the Pacific and parts of Africa, we've been fortunate to have had um, great researchers um, involved for a number of years who've then gone on in some cases to senior positions even at the Metropolitan Museum of Art and in Leiden and places like that. So um, I think that's um, something that a small institution like the one I work in can contribute to changing the sector. It doesn't happen instantly, but it is gaining momentum. Last question. What do we think ultimately the effects of this report will be? Is it is it something which is a sort of flash in the pan, is an urgency in the debate, and then it will dissipate? You know, Macron's already distancing himself to a certain extent from it. Or do we think there's, there's actually re- a real discussion happening now and this is a this is a moment from which we can take a sort of positive view about museums and governments taking an active role in 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 addressing this issue. Vicky, do you want to start? Again, I think it's the fact that we don't hear about what's happening. Um, I was just at the Paris Peace Forum, um, which was a few a couple of weeks ago, um, and culture was such a huge topic there. And actually, the European Commission and I think the Ethical Fashion in- Initiative and another organisation, it's gone out of my head now, but they launched the African Fashion Fund, um, and that is to work with small to medium enterprises on the ground and connect them with, you know, bigger brands in the West, which is exactly what I'm about. But, um, and and of course, that's going to open up different policy discussions like distribution and education and IP and things like that. So I think... It's recent that actually culture and the arts are at the table, essentially. Um, but I think small small progresses are happening, which isn't which is key. I think that's right, and there's growing awareness that culture can be really important for social inclusion, for awareness and care of the environment, for gender equality. I mean, for a whole range of um, global priorities and that's what 
makes it really important that that vision that Macron announced in the wider speech about France's engagement with Africa doesn't get lost or simply become a sort of diplomatic um, doing the right thing kind of exercise. I think there is a real responsibility on the part of museums to engage very seriously um, with the opportunities that are around now. But I think it's also reasonable to say that um, a lot of museums are stressed financially and struggling, in a sense, to maintain the programs that they offer to the people who live around them. And I think that if governments are wanting to embrace an ambitious international progressive agenda, they need to recognise that um, that engagement, that international engagement that is really critical to democratising these major cultural institutions um, needs to be more fully supported than it is currently. Just to add to that, they also need to recognise that culture does change society's behaviour and culture is led by the arts, museums, creativity. Wonderful. Thank you both very much. And uh, I'm sure it's a, it's a conversation that will rumble on for some time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. We'll be back with more on restitution from Smooth and Zawi after this. When Napoleon invaded his former ally Spain in 1808, he got more than he bargained for. The Spanish people formed bands of saboteurs known as guerrillas, the origin of the word, to attack the French army by any means possible. The reprisals were unimaginably savage, and this bloodiest period in Spain's history was recorded by her greatest artist of the time, Francisco Goya in his 80 etchings, Los Desastres de la Guerra, or The Disasters of War. A rare and early first edition of this series, set in its original binding, is offered at Bonham's Prints and Multiples sale in London on the 18th of December. According to Bonham's head of Prints and Multiples, Lucia Tro Santa Fe, not only did Goya create pictorial journalism long before the camera was invented, he also captured, more movingly than anyone before or since, the horror of war and its brutal consequences. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Welcome back. Smooth and Zawi is the curator of African art at the Cleveland Museum of Art in Ohio and also a practising artist. He studied under Ellen Atsui in his native Nigeria. As well as looking after the 300 works by sub-Saharan African artists in the CMA's collection, he regularly works with contemporary artists and was the curator of the 2014 Dakar Biennale in Dakar, Senegal. Smooth joins me on the line now to discuss the restitution report. The first question I'd like to ask is... What's your response to the report? Well, um, the report. <laughs> I I think um, it was something long overdue. Um, but I also think, I mean, I think my my, my initial my initial response to that was uh, there was a lack of um, an art historian involved in the entire project. I mean, having a museum professional being part of the um, um, the um, the team that sort of drew up that report. You know, I mean, I know they had a lot of consultations with with um, with museum experts and uh, and professionals, and of course, art historians uh, in France and also in in 
in four African countries. But I, I, I thought that um, the entire uh, project would have really benefited from having someone who works who works in the museum, because the the the, the restitution in itself would require the museum being uh, being involved. And so the idea that um, you just have an art historian who's not necessarily an Africanist and an economist and a writer leading that charge was something that I, I had to wrap my my head around uh, from the from the get go. Yeah. So, but uh, but I also think maybe that's that's the beauty of the report in itself that you um, you have people a little far removed from from the actual um, uh, practical business side of restitution from being involved, so that uh, we can learn what one or two things from from that. Are there particular parts that you agree with very strongly? I mean, the report says that, um, I mean, I think there were two things that, that's, that's, I mean, two things stand out from that report. One is what they call relational ethics, uh, which is sort of the basis of that report. And then the other thing is that they requested that objects that were plundered uh, should be returned. Now, the challenge is how do you determine what objects were plundered uh, beyond uh very few cases, say that of the Benin. So, so um, how do you, how do you determine that? I mean, they also make uh, arguments about uh, creating a data of objects in France, um, and then working in concert with um, with African states to return those objects. You know, as brilliant as that sounds, I think uh, one of the things lacking in the report is really the uh, the, the practical. The practical issues uh, in, in in making returns, and I, I again, that's where I think um, museum professional, the, the 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 report would have benefited from having actively engaged with uh, museum professionals, not just as consultants, but being helping to draft or being involved or being charged with creating that policy. And tell me, tell me what you think a museum, what sort of practicalities would a mu- museum professional have brought to the table? So, for example, um, if I were to return the um, to the objects, do we return the objects to um, to the to an African state, which is one of the things they argue for? Uh, do we return the object to um, to a community? Um, do we return the object to uh, individuals? How do you determine who you return those objects to? You know, and what where 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 are uh, what are other cases that we know of that happened in the past? And there are some cases, for example, in in Nigeria before um, the uh, during the colonial period when the uh, the colonial museum was being set up, what is now called the National Museum uh, in, in Lagos. Uh, some objects were returned to help um, um, create uh, the museum. Some Benin objects were returned. Um, there were other instances in, in the 60s where Nigeria had to actually buy some of the objects back to have some of those things uh, there. Now, like I said, in the case of the Benin, it's very clear that there have been, uh, um, been arguments for, not even arguments, there have been requests for the objects to be returned. You know? And of course, we know that um, uh, the objects in themselves belong to the palace. And so if the Benin uh, Palace was making a request like they've done, they've asked for over the years, uh, there's, uh, the provenance of the objects uh, plundered are, are very clear. But then we have situations where um, ob- objects left uh, in, in other circumstances uh, beyond uh, being plundered or taken directly, or even instances where they were, they were still in, uh, during, uh, they, were, they left um, their communities 
uh, during um, strifes or sectarian crisis? Uh, how how do you determine uh, what goes back to and to whom? You know. So yeah. So so so, so these are some of the questions. You know. Um, um, that one has to think about um, about who 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 ultimately those objects can go back to. I think one of the things missing uh, in the report is the idea that you just take those objects, dump it um, um, uh, with 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 the different uh, governments, and then then they get to figure that out. That the onus shouldn't be on 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 France, for example, determining where the objects uh, go uh, go to. That 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 onus should be on the uh, on the African governments, but again, uh, institutions are expected to make those returns, you know. And I think they would have been uh, much more uh, engaged in working out uh, how those things will, will, will should be done, if you'd ask me. Yeah. Um, and what about American museums? Um, how mu- how much has this sort of created debate among, among curators of African art over there? Because obviously you're in Cleveland, but have you been in discussion with colleagues about this? Yes, I mean we had um, uh, we had um, a roundtable um, discussion last week at the uh, African Studies Association conference. I mean we had begun to work on that roundtable in anticipation of this policy document coming out, mm. and um, and then again, um, I think I think Europe began to really grapple with this um, uh, conversation uh, very late in the game. I would say. You know, I'm not holding briefs for the for for the American context, but you you would a lot of people agree with me that uh, questions of restitution, given the the Native American example, uh, it's been something uh, the American context uh, has been dealing with for a much longer time. You know, um, and so yeah, I think first on the one hand, uh, the American situation is different at the level that they first they don't have that sort of colonial uh, investment like Europe. Second, they have been more proactive. Um, in engaging with questions around that. And I do re- recall um, uh, another instance, the, uh, the Van Gogh uh, materials that were taken away, they, these are grave posts that were taken away uh, from Kenya. Um, and a certain Senator Barack Obama had to write uh, in asking some, for some of those materials to be returned, you know, um, because they were taken, um, they were basically stolen. And so and so they were returned, you know. So the American context have, have really, really uh, engaged with these issues long before Europe began to deal with them. Um, and I also know that because um, it's only kind of removed from 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 the colonial experience with 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 the the, the United States, they've they've been much more progressive uh, in dealing with that. I, I know that you have you have worked a lot with contemporary artists. You've you've worked on biennials. You've done Dakar, for instance. Is is contemporary art another means of addressing these questions and uh, addressing uh, broad communities? Part of the challenge uh, with uh, inviting artists. I mean, several institutions have done that, not only in the, in the United States but also in, in in Europe. I mean, Germany is one was one one clear example. Even the the Tavaren have also done that, inviting artists to to engage with the collections, uh, with uh, ethnographic collection or African art uh, collections, and as a way of dealing with uh, the uh, sort of the, uh, the the imperial histories of those collections. And one of the questions that often come to my mind is um, when you invite one or two artists to deal with with that. I mean, you're making the artist a spokesperson for 
an entire for communities. You know, you yeah. can invite, say, Sami Baloji to to uh, to engage with the Royal Museum, the Royal African Museum, Tavaren. Uh, you know, but Sami is just one artist, and um, I mean, he can't he can't be the artist speaking for Luba, Cuba, uh, and and the rest of uh, the cultures of of the Congo. And so, what you get out of that is a certain kind of um, erasure of guilt on the part of the institution in that sense. And then the artists benefit from that. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think, um, I don't think the artist should be made the spokesperson of institutions. I think it sort of come, it sort of removes attention from, from, from the larger questions. I think the Macron reports are trying to raise. I, I, I don't think, I mean, I, it, it, it does what it can do to a certain, to a certain extent. And I think the person who benefits from that is the artist and the museum. It doesn't address the much larger collective questions by the, those communities elsewhere that, that their objects are in the collection. The report is a, a step in a particular direction. What do you think needs to happen next in terms of this whole question of restitution and repatriation? I think one, I think one of the good things the report um, has done is to sort of open up a Pandora box. You know, I mean, there have been a lot of... Um, Provocations. I know some of my colleagues said, oh, um, that if objects are returned, what it does is it removes um, African art out of um, global art history, for example. So in other words, that if objects that people can't really engage with African art, if the objects are in Africa, you know, there's a there's a level of um, certain level of arrogance in that, you know, I think if we if we're truly geared um, in creating um uh, global art history that people should be able to to go do research everywhere and anywhere. Um, but also, I think one of the things that I, I got out of the report, uh, because, I mean, you read in the report and there's a point where uh, it says that if objects are returned, uh, uh, replicas can be made and um, and and and, and uh, replicas can be made to replace some of the objects that are returned, you know. And what what it tells me sort of the different the sort of the differential in value in value you know um, for for those making the case in the report like like SAR um, authenticity resides uh, not in the object in question but in the persons who make the object which is why a replica uh, when the, the, which is why they are positioned replica has been made on the other hand uh, the, what the museum um, interprets or places uh, mediates for its audience is really uh, the aura surrounding the object, and that aura would mean uh, um, the 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 role the object uh, the objects played in their cultures, and that's something I think uh, the report uh, makes a case for that. It's very important for that aura to be experienced, what they call blocked memory, uh, to be experienced by uh, by persons in Africa. But then I I don't think the the report in itself uh, fully grappled with. Um, with um, um, the the sort of the the impact of uh, uh, alien religions, you know, uh, in Africa, say Christianity and, and and Islam, you know, and the fact that those two religions have made it practically not practically, but but actually made people far removed from those objects, you know, and so if those objects are returned, I mean, how can one, um, um, how can people generate new new modalities of engaging with those? Uh, with those objects in ways that allow them not to think of those objects as, as fetish, 
you know. Mm-hmm. The report didn't address all of that, you know. And I often say that, that I mean, if 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 I invite um, a number of persons uh, from Nigeria or from Ghana or from or from from Mali uh, to uh, to to come see see African objects in most institutions, um, uh, their relationship with those objects will be far removed because of the, the the impact of colonialism. And I think what the report addresses is uh, colonial violence without addressing colonial psychology and its impact on 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 and its impact on the legacy of colonialism on those who 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 continue to live in Africa today. Um, it was very silent on that. And I think um, some of my colleagues in uh, in the museums uh, in the West they've also they've grappled with that in trying to mediate uh, the experiences uh, uh, embodied by those objects uh, to the audiences. So we we deal with that, you know, but that is absent in the report. So that's one way to to think of it. And then again, I've also, in my thinking, I've uh, I've thought about uh, sort of the, the the debate, and I've I've sort of come up with sort of what I two two ideas around the debate, what I call sentimental capital, and sentimental capital basically means, um, especially from uh, for for Macron and a lot of people uh, in the West. Um, who are making a case for restitution? Uh, sentimental capital becomes a way of dealing with white guilt, you know, um, because it ultimately benefits uh, uh, Macron and other individuals if those objects are returned. So it's it's a certain kind of capital comes out of it. And then I and on the the obverse of what I call sentimental capital is what I call sentimental value, uh, which is what uh, uh, peoples, including myself, uh, who are part of the so the African intellectual elite. Um, um, uh, engage with in dealing with um, with the objects, you know, that these objects must be returned because of what the document describes as block memory, that people in Africa needs to find a way for connecting to their past, even when we haven't worked out modalities of making those connections to the past beyond just returning those objects, you know. So I have thought about um, and thinking about those things and also looking at what uh, the report said. The report says it's important to make um, created data of the different objects, say, I mean, we're looking at the the, the French exa- the French uh, context uh, specifically, yeah. creating a, doc- yeah. uh, a data of all the objects in French in French uh, institutions. Uh, it will be I don't know uh, because the report doesn't address that. How can how we are able to determine which objects we are looted or plundered? You know, so it means that 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 there will be more provenance research to be done. You know, um, how that will be done is not stated in the report. And that's where museum professionals will also um, should have been involved in drafting that document. There'll be a lot of provenance research to actually uh, tease apart objects that were plundered, which is what the report uh, is more invested in, and objects that um, that uh, would have come in other ways, either as gifts uh, and, and others. That's one. But I've also sort of thought about that um, in a much more practical sense, uh, if one is able to, say, for example, identify objects that were plundered, um, I don't quite buy the idea, and that this is personal, I don't quite buy the idea of of returning the objects to the state and leaving it at that because it doesn't solve the questions of how those objects are left in the first instance. I mean, so returning, returning the objects to African governments. Um, of course, one understands um, that the African countries are what it is. They have been constructed, I mean, um, by the accident of, of colonialism, you have Nigeria, you have Senegal, you have Mali, you have all those countries. They are there, you know. Uh, but for example, let's take the Senufu uh, objects, for example. You have so-called Senufu culture 
across uh, multiple countries, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Burkina Faso, Mali. So if you're returning uh, Sanufo material, how do you determine where, where those objects will go to? For example, that's one. Um, but even at that, if we are able to identify objects that have been, been plundered rather than returning it to the state, what I had suggested is to make those objects available to individuals in different African countries who are willing to buy those objects uh, for, at a symbolic um, uh, cost. So, for example, if we're able to, for the plundered objects, the Benin, the Benin case, especially for, for Britain, it's, 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 it's very clear. If one is able to identify and, and, then, and then objects are to be returned, uh, hypothetically, you know, the Benin case being one, uh, you, the provenance is, I mean, we know the provenance. We know it left and when it left. So, and the Benin uh, palace have asked for some of the objects to be returned. Not all the objects, some of the objects to be returned. So, in that instance, that in the case of the Benin, objects can be returned directly to the palace. And of course, there have been um, initiatives uh, between the palace and Western, Western uh, European institutions to create um, the Royal Museum in Benin and having objects circulate. Um, I have my own issues around um, having objects uh, on long-term loan uh, in Benin uh, through coming to the Royal Museum and going back to Europe because it doesn't really address some of the questions um, around ownership and all of that. And even it doesn't address the question around uh, plunder and uh, colonial violence, but be that as it may, beyond that case of Benin, if there are other objects that, that we can't, that cannot be um, returned quote unquote to uh, the actual communities I think those objects uh, if they were if they had left uh, um, in violent uh, situations say they were plundered they can that they can be made available for individuals in different African countries to buy um, in trust for the for the communities not by the states because we don't know what will happen if those objects are returned to the state. And if they are, those individuals buy those objects uh, in trust, those objects will not be allowed to be sold on the market, but those objects can be allowed to, um, to circulate, uh, um, to be borrowed for exhibitions, to go out on loans internationally, uh, but they will go back to those countries. The caveat is if those objects have been suspected or have been proven after provenance research that have been plundered and and then returned, then those objects can be purchased by individuals in those countries and made available for, for learning and, and art history and, and research and exhibitions. Now, whatever proceeds is made out of uh, those objects that returned, um, were, that, that were purchased by individuals in those countries, the proceeds can be invested in a cultural fund that will deal with the depend uh, with uh, sort of the dependency we find in Africa, where individuals who do cultural uh, activities will often go to Europe for money. You know, when you have those cultural funds, I mean, people in Africa can actually apply for those funds and do their own their own uh, cultural work in their individual countries. Now, one would ask, what happens to that to, to that cultural fund? Who gets to manage that cultural fund? This is where you think uh, institutions like UNESCO can can be involved. Uh, to help supervise um, the cultural funds, you know, um, and one of the one of the arguments that has been one of the arguments been made or have been made by some of my colleagues is that um, there are no museums in Africa. You know, now we know that uh, this um, they're, they're, we're beginning to see the emergence of private museums all over Africa. We have the Zites in Cape Town. We have 
three, two museums currently being built, private museums in Nigeria, you know. So those museums, then they're being built by private people. Those persons who have the means can actually buy those objects for those museums. And then the proceeds can then, then, can then go into cultural funds. But other individuals who do all kinds of cultural activities on the continent can, in the, the individual countries, can then apply for, to do their own work. It becomes a sort of sustainable ecosystem, essentially, for culture yes. in Africa. Yes, yes. So, so I mean, I mean, one of the language the document uses, the, the Savoir Sarah uh, report uses, is to think of those objects as cultural property. You know, so so thinking of those objects beyond being cultural properties, to so think of those objects as cultural assets. You know, so the objects in themselves become, if they, if 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 becomes a sort of kind of um, uh, assets which. Uh, they go back, they generate resources for people to continue to do cultural, uh, cultural activities in Africa. You know? So that's one way to think about it in a practical, in a practical uh, sense. Uh, the, more pract- the, the other one could be to think of, um, 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 given the, depending on the sort of conversations that happen between, um, between um, institutions in Europe, for example, um, and and uh, our, our government, our European government and African governments, is to work out a modality where some of those objects, uh, if they are not returned, a certain kind of um, a royalty can be paid uh, on those objects that if they that remain uh, in Europe, and that royalty can then be invested in the cultural fund, and persons in Africa can apply uh, with with good proposals in the way they also do when they apply to German Foundation or the Prince Klaus for 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 fund. They can also apply to those cultural fund. Uh, that that uh, the cultural assets have been able to generate for them, so that they can do their work. You know, so these are more practical things. You know, because again, I go back to the Benin example. The palace—it's never said return all the objects. You know, it says return some of the objects. You know, um, and so I think uh, there can be practical ways around it. Well, it is is a fascinating suggestion, Smooth. Thank you very much for talking to me. You're welcome. And that's all for this week. If you'd like to read more on this subject, you can visit theartnewspaper.com slash restitution hyphen report hyphen 2018 and see all our coverage. And also at theartnewspaper.com, you can subscribe to the print edition of the paper. You can follow us on Twitter at Tan Audio, that's at T-A-N Audio, and our main Twitter account and Facebook are at The Art Newspaper. You'll find us on Instagram at theartnewspaper.official. Thanks to Smooth, to Vicky and Nicholas, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week when our teams in London and in New York will be reviewing the year's top stories in the art world. See you then. The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams. Find what defines you at bonhams.com.